Hi, guys. Welcome to episode 25 of Small Talk What's It, the podcast, the at-home series. I am here with the beautiful, strong, gorgeous friend of mine, Taylor Ray Almonte. She's a trainer at Rumble Boxing, and I know you have a lot of other cool hobbies that you do, which I will let you touch on. Um, I'm super excited. This week, as we both know, was quite the week. Um, educational, yet emotional and eye-opening. So many things, and that's why I wanted to sit down with you and talk about it and um, but before we do all of that, let's introduce you. Hi, Taylor. Hello. I'm so happy. This is, we were just saying, this is my first podcast ever. So I'm like, I am ready. I'm excited. Um, yeah. So I'm a rumble boxing trainer and have never honestly been prouder to say that because they've been doing amazing things and I'll touch on that more, but I'm a rumble boxing trainer. Yeah. Um, I'm also an actor and, um, an emerging, I would say an emerging activist. Um, this is kind of a new experience for me, but I've never really had this type of platform before with social media. Um, and I've always been outspoken, but it was to like my, you know, 200 Facebook friends a couple of years ago. And mm-hmm. now it's just become something more than, you know, a post or a feeling. And it's really become something that I feel like I'm called to. Um, So yeah, so I would say an emerging activist. And I think you're kind of the perfect person I want to talk to about this, not just because you're a friend of mine, but also you have a very interesting, like not even in your relationship is very, you know, different. And I think that you're in an interracial relationship. And um, I also think you mentioned that you're not just black, but you're also Hispanic. Is that right? Yeah, so I identify... In a couple ways, but I guess um, the clearest way I would identify is like a mixed race, Black, Latinx person or Afro-Latina. And basically, long story short, like both my parents are immigrants. My mom was born in Puerto Rico. My dad was born in Dominican Republic. And the history of both of those islands is very interwoven with slaves, the indigenous Taino people and Spanish um, colonizers. So from both of those islands and most of the Caribbean um, and even into South America, Central America, what you're going to see is like tons of mixed race people that are not just identifying as Hispanic and not just identifying as black, but both and something in between. Um, And I was actually reading something the other day and someone was saying like the only difference between black Americans here that are mixed race and black um, Afro-Caribbean Latinx people is like a boat stop. Like literally the slaves just got off on a different island and the colonizers were just Spanish, still European, but maybe different than other European colonizers. So I definitely identify as a black person in America, but that's been like a journey mm. to get to that understanding of my identity. Yeah. And I know that's a big Thing for people that are you know interracial where they feel like they never quite fit into like it's especially when you're mixed it's like I don't fully fit on like the black side I don't fully absolutely fit on the white side and you and it's kind of like this internal battle you go through um but just to like backtrack let's talk about your story how did you arrive at rumble boxing acting world I know you also dabble in the graphic design like where did all this start <laughs> <laughs> I literally forgot. I like always forget about Yeah. I always forget about that. Okay. So <laughs> basically, um, I grew up in New Jersey. Like I said, both of my parents were immigrants. They were both raised in the South Bronx, um, their teenage years in New York, and then got married, moved to New Jersey. Here I am. 
And growing up, I always knew I was like called to be an actor. My mom is, aside from just being like a Christian and very much believing hardcore in like what your purpose is and that that's kind of like predetermined when you're born into the world and that she was always like, she's also a teacher. She's like the most nurturing human on earth and like the best person in the universe. And she was always like, what's your voice? What do you want to do? What do you want to say? Like put my clothes in like the bottom two drawers of my dresser so I could pick out my own clothes, put all my food in like the bottom of the fridge so I could get my own snacks when I'm like three years old. And something my parents always remember when I was a kid and like always love to tell is me, like anytime my parents would tell me like, do the dishes, do this, do that. I'd always be like, I'm not a slave. I have rights. I'm like five years old. Like, don't know why I would always say this. And I'd be like, I have rights. Tell me why I need to do this. Like, this is just my character from always. So my mom really nurtured my love of acting. Um, Eventually, I went to NYU um, on an academic scholarship for college. And that was the only school I applied to. I was like, Uh this is it. I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to Tisch. This is what's happening. Oh, my God. Amazing. So went to NYU, had an amazing experience, met some of my best friends on earth, uh, graduated, and pretty soon after started acting, I was determined to only act for at least a year. I was like, I will have no other jobs. Like actors call them survival jobs, mm-hmm. like your side hustle um, while you're auditioning and all of those things. And like acting isn't really how people might imagine. Like you have this side hustle, you get discovered, you are famous, you never have a side job again. Like that's not it. Mm-hmm. People that are on Broadway, people that are in movies, people that are in TV shows, they're your waiters. They're the people taking care of your kids. They're the people graphic designing your website. Like we all have other jobs. Even if you are like successful, most actors aren't like celebrities, right? We're not all Beyonce though. We like wish we were. So um, I just did acting for a year. It was great. I did a couple tours. I did the Broadway national tour of Motown um, like a year and a half ago that closed. So yeah, so I've done tons of commercials, like voiceovers, all different things. Uh, theater is my like number one passion and being a trainer kind of segueing into that at a company like Rumble that it is full time. It is so supportive. It is like a real job. It's not like, oh, you're making pennies, just like trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Rumble's like a career you can make out of fitness in like certain brands like that. Right. And so having that job has given me the opportunity to focus even more on like the acting things I really want to do. Like I did an off-Broadway show um, a couple months ago and my Rumble family was so supportive. Tons of them came to see it. I could work around my schedule. Like it was not conflicting. And I guess that's why I've like dived headfirst into fitness because like I love it. It does feel like acting in some ways because it's like speaking to a massive crowd and like hyping them up, especially at Rumble. I know you've taken my class. If you take classes like that, you're like, you are like hyping them up and like performing. So really dove into the acting world, was the least athletic human you ever met in your life. Really? Okay. Growing up, like, girl, like, no. And (laughs) my friends always joke about it. Like, I hate water. Like, I hate drinking water. I'm like, this is gross. This is the most boring beverage on earth. Like, I just like cannot, I cannot like drink water. It takes like so much. I have to like set a calendar reminder, like try so hard to drink water. And so I used to faint all the time as a kid because I would get dehydrated, like at the beach, in gym class, running relay for life, like fainted because I never drank water. Like this is how like 
little I know about like health growing <laughs> up. So it was kind of wild. I just, I started working out all the time when I was on tour and I was like, I, this is pretty fun. Let's see if I could just like audition at some studios. And that just kind of started that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a spin instructor. I worked at Pure Bar first doing bar. Then I was a spin instructor. Then I started at Rumble. And now... For someone that hates fitness, you really could have fooled me. I, I tell people... No, I, I love it now. I love yeah. it now. No, yeah. I know. But even the fact that like it wasn't even like something you did growing up is so yeah. interesting to me. Um, no, I, I tell people like when I take your class, it's literally like a spiritual experience. I leave feeling like, oh my God, I'm questioning things in life and I am absolutely <laughs> dripping sweat. Um, I so love that. I have to take her, her class. Um, but yeah, so I guess... Also, by the way, are you an only child? Um, so I do have a sister. I have an older sister. She's 32, 33, which like is shocking to me because I still think we're like 15. Um, and I have three nieces. So they're like my life and times, my sister's children, obviously. (laughs) And I, oh, and I also, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. So my dad is remarried and I have a one-year-old brother and sister. So this is like new to me introducing how many siblings I have you know what I mean it's like only in the last year that I've had baby siblings yeah so I have twins wow twins so I have a little brother and a little sister which like blows my mind I mean they're amazing I like love them so much and just recently got to see them they just started walking um so after like being quarantined and everything I just got to see them uh yeah so I have three siblings now which me and my sister our, my older sister are always like, oh my God, we're going to forget the twins. Like we have to remember we have baby siblings now. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm sure they're probably going to feel more like your kids than they are like brother and sister. For sure. But I mean, because I have three nieces, I'm like used to nurturing like little children. And because my mom's a teacher, like I've kind of always been in that mm-hmm. environment, but for sure, I think they're going to be basically like my little baby children. That's really exciting though. It's like, you know, and um, I feel like it's a whole new like chapter of life and everything. I feel like in all of this darkness, like new babies is like the light in all of it. Um, yeah. 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 For sure. So let's, so now I guess talking about like, I'm, I'm going to talk about like staying active after let's first talk about like the movement and why do you think, why do you think now, like, why do you think people are getting, you know, real waking up now, I guess. Yeah. So I mean, for me, I think, just from speaking to people and like engaging on social media. And uh, unfortunately we can't have many in-person conversations at this time, which is pretty wild. Um, I know that people are having a lot more time to pay attention to these things because they are quarantined at home because they are in social isolation. Um, Some of my friends are still completely alone. Like they haven't even, you know, they might have older parents or whatever it is. And so they haven't even gone back to, home so they're like even quarantined isolated alone and so a lot of people i i believe it's just because they have time and because they have the energy to actually see what's happening and i feel like my experience is like none of this is new mm-hmm. none of this is i'm not shocked or surprised i have seen this forever every i mean i think that it's just people are seeing it and delving in in a way they haven't before. I think before it was like this black person was murdered and that is really unfortunate and maybe I'm going to donate or maybe I'll like mention it to someone at work but like 
there's so much other life happening that like, that's not my priority because like, maybe I don't experience that. And that's not just for white people. That's also for non-black people of color in general that might never experience it or feel that they're put in that situation. So it's like, oh, that's sad, but like, that doesn't really affect me. Whereas I feel like now people actually have the time and the energy to say, okay, that doesn't affect me, but like, maybe it doesn't affect me in that, like, that's not going to be my story. Like, I'm never going to have to live this experience, but people are seeing how it does affect them. And they're actually like having time to listen. Right. And I think it's a perfect example. Like, look at what happens when you just like slow life down a bit and you actually can see things for what they are. Because especially us as New Yorkers, we're constantly moving nonstop. And I think sometimes we forget to like pause and be like, what's happening in the world right yeah. now? Um, so this is a perfect example of that. But so what do you think like this? What are we trying to like communicate right now? Like, what's the message of this entire movement? Like, what do we want to like educate people on? Yeah. So I kind of feel just for the sake of like speaking about it in as concise a way as possible, I've kind of broken it down into like two major groups. Mm-hmm. I think there's the small things, which are the things that like me personally, I would say that I've experienced majority of are quote unquote small things. So that would be like microaggressions. That would be like in my everyday life, experiencing this coded racism <clears throat> that many like well-intentioned people constantly, constantly subject me to for my entire life. And then, so I think that's the one thing. I think it's like people feeling so tired of these things that happen to them every single day. I think it's also the bigger things, the bigger picture, which is essentially, I could water it down to systemic oppression. So it being that America is a system in which this is not a mistake, in which this is not oh my God, this is so crazy. This is happening. Slavery was abolished this many years ago. Jim Crow South was abolished this many years ago. How is this still happening? Where this is exactly perfectly working the way it was intended. And I feel like the thing that is so shocking is it is not slavery, right? Slavery, okay, slavery was abolished by the 13th Amendment, which specifically uses the language to say slavery and involuntary servitude, that's illegal, except as a punishment for crime, right? So in that moment, people are thinking, okay, we need to rebuild the South. So what are we going to do? We're going to start arresting all of these Black bodies for loitering, for tiny, tiny crimes that maybe aren't even crimes. We're going to give them life in prison so that they can rebuild the South with slave labor. But now it's legal because they're arrested. And that just equaling like I highly encourage people to read about this even more delve deeper into it especially the Netflix documentary 13th goes like deep 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 into this Mm -hmm. and it is not just ending like hundreds of years ago it's all the way up the Black Panther and civil rights movement all of those leaders either being assassinated murdered exiled to other countries silenced so that the Black community literally has no leadership so that they have like no one to lead them mm-hmm. all the way up to, you know, uh, laws being put into place that paint black men as super predators. This term that came into the media, a super predator, as if they are animals, this imagery portrayed that makes them violent, rapists, murderers, 
this type of language so that even the black community is afraid of them and says, oh yeah, put more laws in into place to protect us from these, these super predators. Mm-hmm. It's on and on and on to like last week. It's not, it's not like these laws and these things ended when like the Jim Crow South ended. <clears throat> these are things that are like ongoing. And that is why I think it's so important that people understand that it's a system. It is redlining black and brown communities so that they get less funding, so that people are not investing in those communities, so that property means nothing, so that they are not getting loans, so that they cannot get insurance, that there is not health care. There aren't even supermarkets put into these redlining, redlined communities mm-hmm. so that when people say things, and I know this was something we were going to touch on, but like when people say things like everyone in America has the same opportunities, that is factually, statistically inaccurate mm-hmm. because black and brown people, there is a system pushing them down, yeah. making sure that they do not have those opportunities. And in spite of that, people still rise up and yet And so people want to use that as an example. Oh, well, Barack Obama did it. Oh, well, you went to college. Oh, well, look at Oprah. Look at Beyonce. And like, that is just like so toxic to Black people to hear because you internalize that racism. You begin to think, I am doing this. I have done this. We have done this. We are dangerous. We are X, Y, and Z. And that is why it is so toxic. It's not just like white people believe this, non-black people of color believe this, black people believe this, mm-hmm. a lot of these things. And for me, I think that is the big picture that like this is a system in which when people say like dismantle the government, dismantle the system, that sounds scary and like mind-blowing and I'm like what does that look like? What does that mean? Right. But how could you not? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I feel that that is, you know, in a, the most concise way possible, I feel that that is the movement, Yes, that it is not just about one Black person being murdered, although it's obviously horrible. But black, I read a statistic the other day that was saying something like 12 people, 12 more Black men have been murdered by police brutality since George, George Floyd. And that was like, what, two weeks ago? And like the consistency in which this happens, the numbers, one in three black men being imprisoned in their life, opposed to one in 17 white men, like they are so staggering. And I feel like people are seeing it. And and I think people need to see it more that it's not just, oh, okay, I'm going to stop saying these microaggressive words to my coworkers. But it's like, no, like what's the big picture, you know? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, There's a few points you made in there. And I think the first thing is that people think that this is like such a problem for so long ago and doesn't affect us now. In reality, there are policies in place right now that are attacking Blacks. And it's like, who is making these policies? And I actually posted the other day on my Instagram how one of the policies is, and we're going to talk about crack versus cocaine. In there is this same exact thing, like slight muscular yes. difference. But if you get caught with crack, you're going to go to jail for more than twice as long having to get cocaine. Where do you find crack? You find crack in typically, you know, poverty, black neighborhoods where you find white and wealthier white neighborhoods. And so that's right. an example of policies in place that don't make any sense. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think that we need to start really questioning 
why is this happening? Why, why are we as a society also telling the black community you're oppressed and keep putting that message out, you're oppressed, you're oppressed. And so I think we really need to start, I think this is people are really opening their eyes and for the first time seeing that. Um, Also, can you also touch on what microaggressions are for those that don't know? Yeah, absolutely. So this is something I've been speaking on a lot about and I feel, you know, sometimes as, like I was saying, as like a mixed race, black identifying Latinx person, it is often um, difficult to understand what is my place? Where should my voice be used? And for a long time, I, I think that like, I grew up in a predominantly white community and my entire life, my knowledge of blackness was often, these people were slaves. These people were in Jim Crow South. There was segregation. These people were oppressed. These people were jailed. And why would you want to be that? That kind of goes back to the internalized racism that you begin to experience as a person of color in America. And so I did not identify as black for about 20, the first 20 years of my life. And I, when someone would say like, oh, you know, you're black. I'd say, oh, I'm Puerto Rican and Dominican. I'm Hispanic. And that is a massive problem in the Latino community. But that was that was what I said. And it wasn't necessarily something I was speaking to about my parents. My parents spoke to me about racism, about the racism they would face. My mother's great-grandmother was a slave and in Puerto Rico. My mom was extremely close with her. She was alive in her lifetime. My mom spoke to me about her. I knew that racism and these things were real. And my parents would speak to me about them. I think they never thought to tell me, you're Black right? They, they thought I would just know this. They grew up in the Bronx. They did not grow up in the same community I grew up in, in which I wanted to separate myself from this blackness that seemed, why would you want to be that, right? If all you hear about it is all these negative things, why would you want to associate yourself with that? I remember sitting in class thinking about the Jim Crow South thinking, am I light-skinned enough to pass as white? Would I be considered black or would I be considered white? Is there somewhere for Hispanic people? Where do I fit? And so this went on for like a lot of my life. And so once I finally got to college, finally was able to be immersed in a black community. And thanks to the kindness and generosity of those people, because it is emotional labor to have to explain things, me being like, I don't really understand where I fit. And them being so kind to me and expressing, hey, my family's from here. My family's from here. We're actually all black. You don't have to just be an ancestor of an American slave to be black. Like, we're all black, X, Y, and Z, and exp- expressing their experiences to me, in, in which I finally felt I was able to have the ownership over my blackness and to understand, to, to feel the freedom to like research more into how this affects me. But I feel like microaggressions is an area in which I have always felt very confident to speak on because basically what a microaggression is, is it can be a statement, a comment, or a behavior that is put into place that is so internalized often by well-meaning people and they're expressing racism they might not even know it and it constantly piles up 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 in the minds and the hearts of people of color having to experience this every day and often not really knowing like you feel crazy you're like are you telling me this because it's racist? Am I being sensitive? Is this crazy? And then if you say like, that was kind of racist, people are like, oh my God, what are you talking about? So you feel insane when you're experiencing it and you don't really know what to do. And so some really common examples of racism that I, or microaggressions that I personally have uh, experienced is like 
when I go shopping, when I first moved to the city, I lived near Soho by NYU in a dorm when I go shopping in that area. Like these are extensions. I've spoken out about it before my relationship with my hair being extremely toxic, internalizing a lot of white beauty standards, and definitely not something I have healed with by any means. So I wear extensions pretty much every single day of my life. When I would go shopping, if it was like early on a weekend morning, I would wear my natural hair. I would either be followed or I would be completely ignored. In these high-end stores that thought a girl that looks like that, she can't afford to shop here. I have learned when I walk in stores like Dwayne Reed, I keep my hands out of my pocket, even if it's winter, because I've been asked if I have something in my pocket, if I've grabbed something from the shelves. This further makes me feel, oh, I need to always dress up. I need to look a certain way. I need to wear my extensions. I need to adhere to these white beauty standards because as a light-skinned person, maybe it'll help me, right? And so that is obviously microaggressive behavior, following someone or ignoring them because you think, oh, they don't have the finances for this. Saying to someone, where are you from? I'm from New Jersey. I'm from Brooklyn. Like what, like I live in, like, what do you want? I think people need to know what's the difference between race, ethnicity, nationality. What am I trying to ask? What's your ethnic background? Oh, I'm Puerto Rican and Dominican. What is your race? I identify as black. What's your nationality? I'm an American. I was born in America. Mm-hmm. What are you asking? And why are you asking? Because most of the time it's, what are you? You look so exotic. You're so pretty. As if to say, I'm pretty because I'm exotic. I'm pretty because I don't look black. That's air quotes, if anyone's listening to this. <laughs> and so those are microaggressions that I have experienced countless times. Is that your real hair? People touching my hair. If I could tell you how many people touch my hair, Dude, don't touch me. Yeah. People touching my hair. When I was a kid, this has made me like want extensions since I was 15. I've worn them for 12 years, pretty much every day of my life. As a child, do you know how many people touch my hair? The first day I got extensions, a boy in my class crushed a bag of Doritos and poured it in my hair and was like, can you get that out? And I, I remember I ripped his shirt because I went to grab him and he started crying. And thank really? God. I had a, a principal that was like, that's not okay. Taylor's not in trouble. You are in trouble. Okay. Like what? Thankfully. But like, I have experienced those types of, I mean, pouring chips in my hair. That's like not a microaggression. It's like overt, overt like racism. Mm-hmm. But people touching my hair, asking me questions about this, um, telling me like even simple things. Like, do you wear sunblock? As if to assume my skin is made of, like rocks. Like, yes, I can get skin cancer. Like what? And I think like as an actor, when I go, when I book a a commercial, when I book a show, I have to send a full PDF. These are my various extensions that I own. Do you want me to look how I did in the audition? Do you want me to look like any of these? Because I know that they will not know how to put on my extensions. Should I arrive with my hair straightened? because you're going to be overwhelmed because you don't know how to straighten my hair, which is very easy to straighten my hair personally. But I've had three hairdressers try to straighten my hair on a shoot once. I shoot, I straighten my hair in like maybe 10 minutes. That is how like little they care. And I don't know like where these people are being trained, but I've never once been on a set where a non-black hair or makeup person has known how to do my hair. Never. I bring my own foundation because oh my, you have red undertones, but you're like this color and oh, I have to mix foundations. Like I'm a science experiment. People are just 
blown away by how my skin color can be so complex. And as an actor, I'm used to it. I send a full PDF. This is my hair. This is my skin tone. What do you need me to bring? How should I show up to make you able to do your job that you're being paid for? Because for some reason, I am just a mystery to you. And I've seen tons of models and actors been, have been speaking about that on social media also. My sister actually is a, is a professional makeup artist. And when she, she went out to California to go train for it, but she even told me like, it's mostly white people you're training. They don't, they don't even touch the area of getting to know like black hair or like black skin, which is like, that's racism in itself. It's like you absolutely have only white clients. So that's, that's one of the problems right there. How, and even when you were talking about schooling before, how you mentioned that Blacks, I only know them as slaves or that they were oppressed. And it's like, why are Absolutely. we talking about more of the strong figures? Why are we talking about the amazing things they're doing today? So, um, and the amazing things they've done back then. I just, again, it, we don't, it, it's so, it, it's not always obvious because we literally have grown up with it. I mentioned, I also mentioned the other day on my um, Instagram, how even in the language we use, how powerful language is. I experienced, I learned this a few years ago, um, but for example, like a white lie. It's like an innocent lie. It's not that bad. Yeah. And then we start using terms like black market or blackmail and the black sheep of the family. It's like even things like that, your yeah. brain is already associating black with bad and white with good. And yeah. so things like that, we need to start being co more consciously aware of when we're talking. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, you hit some really good points there, but just also like personal experiences. I know you shared this the other day about your teacher. Can we talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, this was really interesting. I know that you had mentioned my now fiance. Ooh, I know, engaged. I, I want to talk about Two that weeks too. Ago. Let's actually talk about that um, now. How did you guys? How did that? How did you guys meet? Before we get into your experience, sure. Um, yeah. Because he kind of him and his mom kind of play a part in why I reached out to that teacher. So. <laughs> Um, my boyfriend, Richard, oh my God, he's not my boyfriend, my fiance. I just said that. It's only been two weeks. Um, he, uh, he is also mixed race. He is half Chinese, a quarter Korean and a quarter Puerto Rican. And so, yeah. And so we met on Tinder, lol. I'm like <laughs> Tinder sponsor our wedding. Um, <laughs> we met on Tinder. Uh, it's wild because some of these things I like didn't really realize until he proposed to me because he said them in the proposal, but we matched on Tinder on May 25th, 2015. And I had deleted the app completely. I like was like, I'm just over this. And so I didn't re-download it for over a year and a half later and see his message. When we went on our first date, it was 525 days from when he first messaged me. So that's why we got engaged on 525 because that's kind of like our Oh, <laughs> and so um we had our first date we've kind of been locked together since then uh which was in 2016 and um I mean when me and Richard first started dating he also grew up in a predominantly white community mm -hmm. he his mom is like super successful and so he grew up shielded the way he describes it. And he was like, you have freedom to speak about me however you want on this podcast. Um, he was shielded often by uh, financial and economic, uh, like a sh as a shield, because yeah. he did have the finances and the support uh, from his mom and was able to kind of, he absolutely experienced racism, but in some ways he was like, okay, you know, I have these other resources. So 
in getting to know each other it at first. Like you're not like the other, you're not like the other one. Right. Because yeah, you're like right. a part of us. Yeah. Right. And so he lived in like an affluent community. He went to like a really, really amazing school. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of these opportunities. Um, he always knew he was going to go to college, things like that. Yeah. Even though his mom actually didn't go to college. His mom was, she is first generation of Chinese descent and grew up on the Lower East Side in the projects and like worked extremely hard for every single thing she has. So in a lot of ways, her mom, his mom and my mom completely see eye to eye because they both grew up in the projects in New York City at the same time as minorities. Um, but Richard didn't have that experience. And so he went on to an all-white college, et cetera. He eventually transferred to a different college that was majority Asian population where he really started feeling his voice and able to kind of find that community for the first time, similarly to how I did in college. But he's absolutely experienced in some ways, like more blatant racism than I have. He's talked about like being bullied in school, people like spitting all over his gym locker so he couldn't even open it because it was covered in like saliva and lubies, being called like chink, being called ching chong, being called like, honestly, so hard for me to talk about because it hurts me more than things that I've been called because that's someone that I love. And I know he's strong. I know he fought against it, but it's obviously like really painful to hear. So he absolutely experienced that racism as a child. And then even when he was in call in as an adult working, um, he was doing finance for a major uh, department store. And one of his immediate supervisors called him Jackie Chan in a meeting. And Richard was completely blown away. Like no one even bat an eyelash. He was like, Jackie Chan, do you have any ideas? And Richard was like, kind of shocked. He immediately went to his superior and to human resources. And he said, as a person of color, this is extremely offensive. And his man, like the the higher up person, his like ultimate supervisor for his division was like, what color are you? Yellow? Like, what do you mean you're a person of color? Oh my God. And <laughs> no repercussions were were made to either one of those men. And Richard quit the company because no one did anything. And he felt that he had no voice there. He was like, I've been wanting to quit. I hate this job anyway. And that's not fair, right? He shouldn't be made to quit. They should be made to pay for their racism in some capacity. Um, but he quit that job. And so... He's absolutely experienced racism. I think where we did have a gap was within people of color, there are absolutely so much racism, but whether it's between, you know, there's colorism, being light-skinned black, being extremely dark. There is, you know, stigmas about your hair type, having good hair, not having good hair. There is racism between different races that are still minority races. So whether you're Asian or Black or Latino or what have you, and that kind of racism. So I feel like when Mima just started dating, he had definitely experienced these things, but like he hadn't experienced being Black or, you know, the same things that I have experienced. And so it did take a lot of conversations. Some were extremely tough, but at this point it like, Honestly, I was like brought to tears the other day because Richard was talking about this post someone one of his friends posted and he was like this seems peaceful but this language this is why this is toxic to black people because x y and z and like this is not okay. And I was like brought to tears because of like someone can hear you but to actually like listen and internalize that and be able to repeat it and to believe it and like 
he has absolutely been my ally in this entire experience. He is a person that like puts me back together every night when I'm in tears from like a day of talking about these things. And I feel like it's just, it's definitely not um, assumed and wasn't simple for us to completely relate on our different experiences as people of color. But I'm really, really, really glad that we have gotten to that place. Yeah. Um, And again, this is why I think conversations like these are so important because you could say, you could attempt to imagine, but you will never really know what it's like to walk in the shoes of someone else that has a different race, a different cultural background. You'll never know. And that's why having those, these conversations is so important. Um, And I think another thing that I kind of want to touch on is that, um, you know, I will never, I'll never know what it's like to be black or to be Asian. That's not my background. However, you know, I think it's also, I think these conversations, we have to remind ourselves that like we all have experienced pain, some much worse than others, but we can find that commonality. I mean, my family, I come from a Jewish family and, um, you know, we small, we've heard small things here and there like, oh, like, like, for example, a comment like, oh, you're being cheap because you're Jewish or whatever. And it's like, what? That's a microaggression. I'm like, what? And so I'm like, that literally, I don't understand. And I, and I even had friends make that joke before. I know they don't mean any harm by it, but it's like, be careful what you're saying because like, I take a lot of pride in my background. And so yeah. I think, you know, we all to an extent, but again, having these conversations about like what we go through on a daily basis, that that's, I believe that's what's really going to bring back about change and yeah. open our eyes. But so back to what happened with your teacher. So how did he or now yeah. inspire that? Yeah. So uh, this is a story that has kind of always been, I feel like in anything, you kind of have that like story you always go to, like that party story that you always tell or like that crazy thing that happened or like, you all, you always, for me at least, I always pull from like these certain things. Yes. And so this has always been like my racism story in some capacity. Mm-hmm. I have more, but this has always been one that like is the thing that I have said so many times to so many people. And basically I had this AP history teacher, which blows my mind because you would think as a history teacher, he would like know something. Yeah. But I had this AP history teacher in high school and some of the things that happened were, for example, like my clip on ponytail that I wear now. Everyone calls me the ponytail queen. I love my ponytail. That is like my life. And, um, was not always that good. When I was like first starting to wear extensions, I had this like clip on ponytail with like, you know, those claw clips that you used to like twist. It was like that, but with like hair on it. Right. (laughs) So like that does not, that's like not a natural look. But like I was still like rocking it, you know what I mean? That's so I had foundation when everyone's foundation was like totally off. Like, yeah, absolutely. Just, we didn't know. Yeah. So I'm like rocking this ponytail, and um, my teacher comes up to me, and it's like almost like a bun, and he like grabs it and like shakes it, like he's like, "Why do you always wear a wig?" So many issues with this. One, you're touching a student. Two, you, that's like microaggressive AF. Like. What, like so many problems. I remember where I was sitting in this classroom. I can see it. I can see it all. And he shook my hair and said, why do you guys wear a wig? And the other kids in my class laughed because they knew, because they had known me pretty much my whole life. They knew I like didn't have long hair last year. And like suddenly I had this like long ponytail. They knew. And same class that like poured Doritos in my hair, like same people that I grew up with. And so they're laughing. And then I said something. I don't remember what to try to defend myself. But like, I always want to hug that like 15, 16 year old. Cause like, I wish I could like be 
who I am now in that body and like school him. I said something small. Someone said, no, that is a wig. In my defense, like, like they were like, no, that is, that, that is a wig, but like, you shouldn't make fun of it. Yeah. Like they were, he was trying to say like, I think he said like, why does your hair look like a wig? Something like that. And they were like, no, it is a wig. Either way, he realized, oh, these are extensions and maybe I'm like on, on questionable territory right now. And he was like, oh, well, it looks great. Are you going to wear that to prom? Like, I'm going to help you become prom queen. He did this guys, class. Yes. Guys, let's all vote for Taylor to be prom queen this year. I guess as a like apology to maybe make it better. And so my just brain is exploding. I'm so confused about what to do with this. Mm -hmm. fast forward to the next year I'm in a different class I had a lit AP history teacher that I love Mm -hmm. and so I'm in that class all my friends like love this guy yeah the previous one so they're like let's go visit him and tell him about our college acceptance we go visit him I go because like these are my friends and like what else am I to do Mm -hmm. I go and we all tell him we got accepted to what colleges I say I got accepted to NYU on a full academic scholarship and he goes how do you feel that you only got accepted because of affirmative action in front of a new class, like he's in front of his like younger grade below me class says this. And he goes, do you feel that that's reverse racism? Which isn't one, a real term, but like word. And so I say something about my, my SAT score was really good. And I auditioned for this because it's a drama program. Like, I don't know what to say. I'm stumbling on my words. I remember like I was standing by his door And he goes, my wife is Puerto Rican, shook to my soul. He goes, my wife is Puerto Rican and my kids will never check a box to say that they are a minority so that they never get special treatment. So what? basically my brain melts and um, I leave that school. I never see him again. And so I was telling my boyfriend, my fiance, his mom. I know, we got to get you. I was telling her story the other day and... um, she was like, so did you ever say anything to him as an adult? And I was like, no. And she was like, why not? And I was like, girl, why not? And we're just yelling at each other. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Say something. So I was like, Ahem. so I go to my computer, look up the board of education for my town, yeah. put in all their emails, send them an email. You're probably not going to do anything. This was 11 years ago, but just so you know, this happened to me. I email him. I send him a Facebook message. And it's on my Instagram, the full message. Um, I redacted his name because I'm a nice person, even though he's a terrible person. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want him to get death threats or anything like that. Like, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not my goal. My goal is for some sort of accountability and honestly, to have closure as a person, me, myself. And I basically just said in it, like, this is what you did to me. And I just want you to know that you didn't break me. And I just want you to know that in spite of your racism, in spite of the hatred that you let my fellow peers believe was okay, which they then took as free reign to treat me however they wanted, in spite of that, I still became the person that I always wanted to be. And like, in spite of your words and your humiliation, like I'm still here. And 11 years later, I'm still fighting for what I believe in. And I will always fight against people like you because that is not overt racism, right? That is not calling me the N-word. That is not hitting me. That is not, you know, overt racism. Those are the small everyday things that build together to break someone's spirit. And that is not someone that should be an educator. And I also 
reached out to my favorite teacher from that year, one of my English teachers who I know is friendly with him. And they still communicate on Facebook. And I told her about my experience and she was like, I'm having a conversation with him. That is not okay. I will hold him accountable. Like she's an amazing human. I basically reached out on all sides so that he would know that this conversation was being had, even if he wasn't going to have it with me, he'll have it with his superiors. He'll have it with that teacher. He'll have it with someone, even if he never responds to me. I hope that he just, I don't even know what I hope for him. Honestly, I hope more for me that I feel closure about that experience as much as possible. Yeah. I think it's important to confront those situations because someone can get away with that for the rest of their lives thinking they really never did anything wrong. Um, I think what I kind of hope out of this whole movement moving forward is that people start to really recognize when something like that is not okay. You should already yeah. know, honestly, as a human being, that that's like not okay. But especially, especially doing that, like singling out a student of color. I don't, I don't, I don't even know as a teacher, a history teacher, nonetheless, it's literally wild to me. Um, well, I had a lot of people that I went to school with. Like I said, it was like majority white community, but I had a lot of people reach out to me that like, I didn't even know they were Jewish when we were kids. Mm. And they were like, yeah, I'm Jewish. And like, he used to say a lot of like terrible things about Judaism too. And I've had three people from my high school reach out to me that like, I'm not necessarily in contact with whatsoever at all, but reach out to me on Instagram. And I'm like, wow. Like, I mean, in some way it's a little bit tiny bit comforting to know it wasn't just me that was experiencing this mm-hmm. but yeah insane what um have you also experienced being like an interracial relationship have you had has that been a challenge of its own like from people or has it been like okay well you're also in New York City but I'm curious yeah yeah I mean for me it has not really been a challenge mm-hmm. in any in any way um mm-hmm. like I said Richard's dad is Puerto Rican and Korean so It's not like there, and his aunt's husband is also Hispanic. Like it's not, and like in my family, not everyone is like Puerto Rican or Dominican. Like it's not unusual for us in our families or like in our experiences because both of our families are from New York as well to have like interracial relationships and mixed race like children. So Mm -hmm. for me and our family, it hasn't really been an issue out in the world. It hasn't. No, I feel like it hasn't necessarily been an issue. I feel like if anything, it's just been like in conversations between us to try to see more eye to eye, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, And then I guess also talking about, you mentioned that, so this is your, this is what you wanted to bring up. Like what tropes are not helpful when it comes to talking about racism? Yeah. So something that I think is, I feel like there's a few things, obviously microaggressions in any capacity. Mm -hmm. Like I had a friend that posted something about Trayvon Martin years ago when we were in college and was like, even normal people experience some sort of pain and sadness as if normal was to mean white, like saying, and that's like not helpful, even though her post was like trying to be helpful, like really analyzing what you're putting out in the world is like the first thing and what you're saying. So, um, but I feel like tropes that are like really unhelpful are things like, I've been seeing a lot of people say like, I don't see color and we are all one. And like, I want people to, you know, I saw someone write, I want to raise my child to love people for the content of their character and not the color of their skin. And I think that that is well-intentioned. I think back to like those microaggressions we were talking about, even someone saying to you, like, you know, using Jewish as like stingy or like, they're just being like funny. You know what I mean? They're just like making a little joke. They're your friend. Of course they would never be like that kind of person. But I feel like 
that is, these are all well-intentioned people that we are asking to do better, right? Because that trope is essentially an erasure of that person's experience in their brown body existing in the world. Just because you want to pretend that you don't see me as a black person, that doesn't actually affect the 27 years of my life that I've looked like this and that I've experienced X, Y, and Z. And so you're dismissing all of the concerns, experiences, real world issues of racism that plague just that individual and also the entire society. You're mm-hmm. saying, oh, I ref- I'm not going to see those things as problems. And I guess it's kind of the same thing when you say like peace and love and unity, because the truth is, I was reading this entire like academic study that I also put in an article, a swipe up on my Instagram mm-hmm. um, about uh, the ways in which anger are actually so productive for the way that people um, demand change. If you are angry because like something on a small level, a little kid, their parent says that they can't do something. They throw a tantrum, right? They're upset about it. And what they are demanding is to know why this is happening to me and how it can be different. Like, what am I experiencing? And in general, like someone says a mean name to you, you know, something bad happens to you. Just like in everyday life, you cry, you get upset, you have an argument with your partner, you demand for something different right? As a whole, if Black people have been experiencing this kind of oppression for hundreds of years, like they have a right to be angry. We have a right to be angry. And so to say it's all about peace and love is actually like completely derailing the conversation and really championing, championing, like there's been so many, um, people that are like left behind after their husband or their brother are murdered by police brutality. And then they'll go to a press conference and someone will say, have you forgiven the officer that killed your husband? And they are always championed. And they're like, I have, because you know, blah, 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 blah. Those people are championed when they say, fuck, no, you killed my husband. No, I don't forgive you. Those people are seen as angry, violent, no, like you would be upset if someone killed someone in your family too. Like why are black people held to a standard that they have to be like passive and just, you know, take it with poise and dignity. Like that does not equal. I love when people want to invoke the name of Martin Luther King as if he was not the number one most hated person in America at that time, as if he wasn't on the cover of newspapers as the FBI's number one target, Mm -hmm. as if he was like the person that everyone loved. Yes, he advocated nonviolence, but check out his speeches about why people riot. And because they are not heard, that leads to rioting, that leads to protests. And his protests, they were peaceful protests. That doesn't mean people weren't getting beaten. That doesn't mean people weren't getting arrested. Mm. A peaceful protest just means your intentions are peaceful. But if someone starts inflicting violence on those peaceful protesters, are they supposed to do nothing, right? Like, I just think that people love to use like peace and harmony to kind of just derail the conversation when that is not really what needs to be spoken about. You should use that like Martin Luther King quote and not post it and instead like actually read his speeches and actually look up like 
how the society around him and the government treated him because they weren't like, oh, this dude is lit. He's like talking about peace. Yeah, let's let him speak. No, they wanted to arrest him. They bugged his home. They had police infiltrate his his community and his friends to monitor him. He was assassinated. He was murdered. You know what I mean? So that... No, go ahead. No, I was going to say that I'm, I am one of those people that did post one of his quotes. And I think the reason I did that, it wasn't coming a place of trying to like take away from like, because you, every, everyone in this movement, especially blacks, of course, blacks are justified in your anger. I would, I, I understand that. I think I was coming from a place of like, I was seeing a lot of people ta- having, trying to understand one another, but not coming from a place. I mean, truly like attacking. And I'm like, what right. is that? doing and it, it wasn't it wasn't productive conversation I think I was just trying to remind people like you that's not I don't think that's a way to get to an answer I think if you want to understand someone shut up listen to them be kind to one another and I think that's where I was coming from but I do understand what you're saying in that Martin Luther King wasn't all like oh rainbows and butterflies it was, right. there, was there was people who were hated him and so I think right. I, I think that I understand what you're saying I just think reminding people there's so much like hate right now between people talking with one another that it's like, I don't, I would hate to see it to like get further. I obviously want the movement to continue, but like not in a way where it's not productive at all. So I mean, the way that I feel is like, yeah. there are black people like me mm-hmm. that are, have made themselves available to have these conversations that although it is emotional labor and although it is exhausting, mm-hmm. I am wanting to use this platform. I'm wanting to speak. I'm wanting to have these conversations. But if there is someone, I think that is tightly associated with me being a light-skinned mixed-race person, me not having experienced massive trauma in my life aside from like microaggressions and like that mean teacher, which doesn't diminish my pain. But that is, I was watching a girl speak on having three of her brothers have been either incarcerated and died in prison or been murdered by police brutality. If I was that person, and she was still speaking, if I was that person, how would I feel? How would I realistically be able to convey my emotions? And do I even give a shit to convey my emotions to white people or people that don't understand? Like, you're either with me or or against me. Like, I can completely understand having that mentality if you are hardened by your trauma and you are completely valid in having that response and that experience. And I feel like that kind of goes back to a, um, a trope or a thing that is not useful is telling, and I know that's not what you were saying, but it's telling black people how to feel and how to protest right. Because kneeling wasn't right. Speaking out at award shows, that wasn't right either. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, peaceful protest, that wasn't right all of these things are just, no, we don't like that either. Colin Kaepernick, no, we don't want you to do that. Like all of these things are like not right. So like nothing will be right because people do not want to dismantle a racist system. So don't tell black people how to feel. I have black friends that have posted nothing. They have said nothing on social media. They have said zero things. And you know what? That's right. Because they are black they are living in that body with whatever trauma and experiences they have. And they have every right to deal with this experience the way that they want to deal with this experience. Because who knows what they have been exposed to? I don't even know. I'm not the authority on blackness. But what I do know is that black people have the right to feel however they want to feel. And I think it is important, what you were saying earlier, is that like I was having a conversation with one of my white friends who loves, loves, loves black culture all day. 
but has been completely silent on social media yet has been posting pictures of like beaches and her dog Mm -hmm. and her outfit. And she's like, I'm doing things behind the scenes for me. And this is not one of my other black friends. That's an influencer that I was speaking to was like, if she's doing these things behind the scenes, then like, I'm cool with that. And that's fine. The way I feel is you're still speaking on your platform. So the fact that you're not speaking up about this tells me you don't want to upset your white friends. You don't want to upset your aunt Jody from this place that doesn't agree with you. You don't want to like stir the pot and that you think black culture is fun as a fetishized thing that you partake in, but you're not willing to put yourself out there because as much as this is a movement in protest and in the streets, this is also a social movement, especially because we're in a pandemic. And I feel like if you have a voice, you need to speak up with that voice in any way you can. And so I, I was telling her these things and she was like, arguing back and forth with me. And I said, you keep saying that you are trying to listen, listen to me, listen to my voice, what I am telling you. And say, okay, like, hear what I'm saying, because you can't just keep saying, oh, I'm listening and I'm learning and not do it from where, from white bloggers that are like telling you what books to read. That's where you're listening and learning from like Instagram stories from like other white people giving you resources. Like that is so easy. The hard part is looking inside of yourself and saying, the other day I was on a FaceTime with my mom. I said, oh, this amazing black instructor. I don't know her name. It's something like this. And then I said, mom, that was a microaggression girl. I didn't pronounce her name right because that's a microaggression. I'm calling myself out as much as I can. Right. You need as a white person to say, wow, this was a microaggression. I did this. I said this. I posted that quote. I said, I don't see color. That was not cool. All right. Yep. And you need to say, and I was going to say about that. When people say, I don't see color. No, you should say, I see your color. I respect your race. I appreciate it for you. I love you for it. Like embrace each other's differences. And I think um, it's funny, even this whole thing is like kind of like opened my eyes. I was actually looking at one. I have like a life magazine in my living room and it was like 75 years of like photos. Taylor, there was one photo, one photo in like the whole 50 pages of a black person. And you know what it was? It was a guy where it was like a slave, like a slave wearing like this thing. And I was like, or someone from Africa, from another country, there was no, and they were showing like uh, the most beautiful models from like the fifties and everything, like all of them white, white, white. And I was like, this is insane. And I, and honestly, those are things I never really picked up on before. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So anyway, go ahead. No, go go ahead. ahead. No, you go. You you go, you go. (laughs) I feel feel like this kind of leads into like the thing to do, right? Because we just said all the things like not to do and all the things that are not useful. Mm -hmm. I feel, and I feel like that's what you were going to ask anyway. Yeah. Um, I feel like the thing to do is I saw this amazing quote or post, not quote, post on Instagram of this girl. She was saying, hey, I did this thing. I thought I was being a good ally. This was actually really bad. And it was, she made a graphic and it said, I fucked up. Here's how I'm fixing it. And she said, this is what I did. I thought this was helpful. It was not helpful, but because I have hundreds of thousands of followers on my verified account, I want you to know that like, I made this mistake. I completely take ownership of it. This is how I'm going to do better. These are the people that I've spoken to. She tagged a couple of her friends that told me it wasn't okay. And I hear them. And like, I see them and I know that like, that was, even though it was good, well-intentioned, it was incorrect. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so powerful. I don't think anyone is saying be perfect, do it right the first time. And I think even speaking about like how I was talking about Rumble, that I've never been prouder to work there. 
us trainers are, that are people of color have been speaking for years about how they like appropriate black culture, but don't necessarily appreciate it. Mm. And the owners of that company literally let me say that on their channel, on an IG live and speak on it and say, yeah, we have felt like this, but that's going to change. They have started a diversity group within the company. We've had Zooms probably every day this week talking about what can we do? How can we be different? What can we do? How do we change this? How did we appropriate black culture? What does that mean? Right? Like me as a white person, how did I do that? And like speaking about it, we raised $113 for the NAACP yesterday with our fundraiser. And like that says, hey, we made a mistake, but hey, we're going to be different. And to me, that's everything. I don't expect people to be perfect, especially because it's been like a week since some people even like thought to think of this. Mm -hmm. I don't expect people to be perfect. I will see my friends posting that quote saying they don't see color. And I'll say, hey, girl, you posted 10 other articles that were awesome. This one, however, let me tell you a little bit about why this doesn't feel good to me. And when they say word, I totally feel that. And they screenshot it and right above it. Hey, I just had a conversation with my friend. This kind of language is divisive and toxic to people of color. Awesome. But you have to listen. And it's so hard to be critical of yourself and let other people criticize you and be able to say, yeah, okay, I did do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, this week I've also, I've been talking with people, friends of different races. I've talked to people from different political parties. And I think that doing that really like we actually we actually agree on more than you think we don't agree on but I think some people weren't educated on it um yeah so I really like I had friends that were like I never thought about that before and so um it's important to do that and again on the topic of like influencers one thing I really need to stress this is not an anti-racism marketing campaign and I think that I feel like right now you see all the brands like we're here with you we stand with you and ever but it's like okay, what's going to happen in like when this conversation dies down a little bit and we kind of go back to like more normal life? Like, is it, are you going to continue to keep making those changes? Because I feel like right now it's like the trendy thing to do. Like there's people I follow who haven't posted in years and then they post a black square. And I'm like, are you doing that? Because I'm like a good white person. I'm like, right. it's mind blowing to me. So right. what are your thoughts on like that? I feel like um, my... I don't want to have to keep calling out my white friends for it. I think other white people, non-black people of color need to hold their friends and their family accountable. I think when someone does make that remark of, you know, that little racist comment, that's like, you might chuckle at that. You say that's not okay. And maybe everyone gets really, really awkward, but that you do it nonetheless, that like, the thing that I've been saying is like, you can stop posting, you can stop talking about it. But at the end of the day, like we can't stop being black. Mm-hmm. And like, I will always be hypersensitive to it, especially now, especially with like this newfound, like really calling that I feel myself called to. Mm-hmm. But like, I think, um, I lost my train of thought, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think, um, oh, so I think that like, especially as a black influencer, and knowing other black influencers, when we say, hey guys, this brand that I've been working with did this, this brand that I reach out to ignored my message. They read it, they ignored it, or they used some dismissive crazy language to try to silence me. Mm -hmm. Can you support me on this? I think all of these people that are like talking about it need to be like DMing that brand, commenting on my comment, liking on that like, 
like talking about it, engaging with me, supporting me. I think that's a great way because when we say, Hey, this isn't okay. You can't just be like, yeah, but like a couple months ago I donated. I'm like really tired of talking about this. This is something that I want to stress is like a lifelong conversation. Sure. It's, it's mag it's magnified right now. Maybe forever. We're not going to be talking about it 24 seven because there are other issues. Something that I'm really thinking about and talking about is like the LGBTQ community right now and black members of the LGBTQ community and trans black people being treated X, Y, and Z way that I've been like talking about on my social media, people that are disabled in the black community. Like there's so many issues. And so I don't necessarily think that we're obviously going to be talking about this issue for the rest of our lives at this velocity and it opens up the door for other conversations right but i also think that like you need to be thinking about it forever Mm. you know even if you're not posting about it every single day or talking about it on a podcast every single day i think that like this needs to become something that's like part of your life and i think that is how the i think that is the difference for sure. What do you think besides all the social media postings, like what can people really do to not only educate themselves, but also to really make a difference in their everyday lives? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest, even me, I felt extremely overwhelmed at like the amount of books to read, things to watch, podcasts to hear, knowledge that I felt I wasn't equipped to speak on, knowledge I felt like maybe I didn't know keeping up with this and that and like the news and what events are happening. And I have even felt overwhelmed by that. And I think that, um, I think that it is important to, everyone has a lane. Everyone has an area where their talents are best suited and you cannot be everything to everyone all of the time. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that a great place to start, and that doesn't mean that's where you stay, but I think a great place to start is finding out in what ways can I help? What are my talents? What are things that I'm good at? Something that I thought about when we were talking about how I do graphic design and websites and stuff, I just had a friend of mine who became a friend by being a client, I've never met this person in my life, reach out to me, a black man, a composer in Detroit, wanted me to update his website. That inspired me to think, if black creatives want someone to update their website, I will start doing it for free for like a certain amount of time to uplift members of that community to have a better website and be able to share their ideas and thoughts better. That is a lane that I'm comfortable in. That doesn't really require me to like learn a ton in a moment. And so I feel like find something that you already do or that you're already good at. I'm already on social media all the time. I already work with brands to do workouts. Now, before every single one of my workout, I speak on a topic related to blackness. Mm -hmm. If a brand doesn't want that, then goodbye, honey. I'm not working with you. And I will definitely be letting everyone know that that's how you feel. And thankfully, no one has denied that. They've all wanted that. So now I speak about a topic of blackness, microaggressions, colorism, et cetera, before all of my workouts. That's already something I was doing was having workouts. So now I just put that into it. Integrate active, um, tangible, real things into the things you already do. Rumble already teaches classes. They already have the Rumble TV set up. They already have that platform. They already have the marketing. Let's just turn it into a benefit, right? right? So I think that's a great place to start. Don't try to do everything and be everything. Think what talents do I have and how can I use that to help? 
such a great answer. I think also, even for me, like I said to myself, okay, like, what do, what do I do? What am I trying to accomplish here? I love having conversations with people. But I say, why don't you pivot more? So you put more black voices on the podcast that are sharing their story. That's my lane. I'm not, yeah. you know, I, I can't, I can't do it all. I'm not talented at everything. So take your talents. And then that's Absolutely. how you, you know, um, help the community. But like, for example, I think brands should be, I saw someone the other day, um, this is jumping back a little bit, but I saw someone the other day post, I'm forgetting her name, but she was saying how a lot of these really well-known brands that are posting that like, oh, we're here to stand with you in solidarity. Yeah. If you literally scroll through their feed and there's not one black person on any of yeah. And I'm just like, okay, so I'm hoping we don't, again, we don't want to attack people for what they have done in the past because the goal is to try to move forward, but let's right. also see what's going to happen. Are you going to actually make 100%. that? hundred percent. Yeah. And that's what I think. I'm not giving everyone a free pass. Okay. You were trash before, but like, you're saying you're going to be good. So I'm on board. No, yeah. I'm saying even on like the rumble, you know, uh, IG live that I did, I said in six months from now, I'm putting my face on this. I'm holding this company accountable. I'm going to speak on it. That's how I feel with everything. Like these brands that I work with that, you know, I worked with this shoe company. They donated $500 to the bail project for like my 20 minute Instagram live class that I did based on like the shoe sales that they had from my code. And that's awesome. Mm -hmm. But you know, are you going to use more black models in the future? And like, will you continue donating after this? And right now I'm like, you're doing good. You're on a good path. And I see you and I see that, but like, I'm gonna, I'm not saying like, okay, you did one thing. You're great. You know? Yeah. So I think, I just think everyone has to, has to keep that mentality. We don't want to punish people for mistakes they might've been making if they are actively trying to atone for those things and be better and do better. But we also need to see the proof and see the action. Yeah. Like I'm just not the biggest fan of like cancel culture because I personally don't find it the most productive. I think they're, I think, I think really it's so easy on social media to attack people and jump on the bandwagon because we live in a very like bandwagons is like culture where everyone's like oh yeah. my god I hate them I hate them I hate them but <laughs> I realized where when you really talk to a person you step away from social you call them on the phone you have a conversation with them in person you realize that like they're a human being they're my they may like people I grew up differently than how you grew up and and people come with different you know baggage and different perspectives and backgrounds and so I think the way to move forward is to really like get to know people and so I just hate when I see like you know someone being like attacked and because they said something and I'm like maybe that person didn't mean what you think they meant so yeah, yeah that's where I just I definitely come from yeah. yeah, I definitely think that there is um, a fine line between holding someone accountable and exactly canceling them, attacking them. Um, I have found, me and Richard were actually talking about this yesterday, that when we first started dating, I was all for cancel culture, all for it. I was, you are either with me or you are against me. If you did X, Y, or Z, you do not value my life. If you voted X, Y, or Z ways, you do not value my life. And that was very much how I felt. And again, black people, you're going to feel how you're going to feel. And I 100% understand that. And I have 100% been there. But I also feel at this moment, and again, it goes back to like, I have access. I've been going to therapy for like five years, right? I have access to mental health support. I have access to whatever support I need to be able to speak on these things. I have the luxury that I can turn off social media and like me and Richard are going to go for a hike after this. Mm -hmm. And I have the ability to do that. Whereas like many other black bodies do not have those things and do not have that support. 
And so I feel that it is definitely like, while I 100% agree for me that cancel culture is like ineffective, and I would much rather speak to someone, see where they're at, try to understand them, have a conversation. Of course, if they're like a terrible person, then like, I don't need them in my life. Yeah. And like, I don't need to engage with them. But, <clears throat> but I also think that like, there are definitely going to be people that don't feel that they are wanting to have those conversations that they will see something and they just like, do not want to be associated with that person. And that is when I think it's a big responsibility of allies. It's being a good ally, stepping up and saying, Hey girl, you posted this. Hey, you said this. Hey, you advertise for this. And this is actually not okay. So like your black followers or black friends or people in your community might be seeing this and getting this message. What do you have to say? Yeah. Is there something different that you're meaning? And that gives that person the opportunity to talk and gives black people the opportunity to not have the emotional labor to have to wonder why and question and do the hard work. And they can later see that post and say, oh, word, she wrote a whole post and said, hey, I fucked up. This is how I'm fixing it. Okay. I can, I can now, you know, refollow that person or re-engage with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing, if it's in a workplace, someone says something offensive, other coworkers should speak up so that that black person doesn't have to call them out. And then that black person can see that play out and maybe decide, oh, okay, they meant something different. But I don't think that it's always or ever the responsibility of that black person to have to do the calling out to then get to the other side where that person isn't canceled. Absolutely. And I think that this is the time where people, non-black people should be speaking up and standing up. I think the point I was trying to make is that I think people, human beings are much more complex than like, no pun intended, black and white. And I think that- we have, I just don't think people are like, oh, I, I, I either hate you or I love you. And I think some, yes. there's just, we're, we're, we're complex people. And I don't think everyone, listen, are there some people that I think you should not give them the time of day? Absolutely. But I don't think, I don't believe in my heart. Most people are like that. I do think right. that there are a lot of people that just, they've been in this like, you know, systemic racist society where they, they're following along and they, you know, most of us don't take the time of day, even myself. I don't, I have not taken the time of day to really sit down and think about what's going on. Um, yeah. And even there's even like I was saying before, like non-black people of color in general, Puerto Rican people that I know that I follow that are like, I don't see color. And there's also those conversations to be had. It's not just, um, white people. It's all non-black people of color. And even I would say like me when I was younger, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I am a black person, even though I'm also Hispanic, but like, because of that internalized racism, you also might not be speaking about these things or able to communicate them in ways that you wish you were able to. So I definitely agree. There's kindness, there is empathy, and there is like a way to try and understand people and to also get them to understand you. Yeah. Absolutely. Just to shift topics before we go to into final thoughts, I know we kind of talked about on DM yesterday, like kind of mental health during this time. It could be a lot, especially if you're new to the arena of activism or, ta- or st- standing up, you know, I think you could feel emotionally drained when you're talking about something, you know, for a long period of time. Um, what do you do to keep your mental health in check? For sure. So um, I think that in general, I go to therapy pretty much every week. So I've been doing it virtually. Um, I believe so much in speaking about how you feel. I 
talk to my friends. I talk to my family. I think having that communication open and sharing what's on your heart, journaling, whatever way is best for you. I don't journal every day. I don't journal all the time, but this week I did. Um, I have a poetry blog that is like not super public that I've had since I was like 15 um, and writing poetry, writing on that. That has been really great for me. Um, I find that I am struggling with the desire. I don't know what the language is that will make me feel better, but to take a break or to get my mind off of it or to distract myself, mm-hmm. none of those words really feel good to me. Um, but to basically, yeah. but to basically not be thinking about this 24 seven and not just feel the weight of the world on my shoulders, which is how it feels sometimes. And to not be questioning, did I use that Q and a the best of my ability? Did I speak on it right enough? Well, what did I say to that friend? Was that right? And like, should I research this more? And like, well, how do I feel? Well, did I read this book? Or like, should I watch this movie? Or like, just all of these questioning thoughts and also just time that I feel like sad and just like worried. Like my dad sent me a picture of him and my little brother yesterday. And I'm like, this is making me so happy. And this is also making me so scared because if one in three black men go to jail sometime in their life, then like, this is already two people that I love. And like, my brain is like, starts to explode. And like, you know, so I think that, um, I am really trying to find how to take that pause uh, from constantly having my mind turning. And I haven't figured out the right answer yet. Yeah. I mean, I've only been watching either Marvel movies or cartoons. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm at night. I'm a big Marvel girl, by the way. We can relate on that. Yes, because I cannot. And yesterday I was watching Captain Marvel and was like sobbing because I was like, yes, girl, stand up for your dude. <laughs> like, literally, I can't. <laughs> yeah. I like, can't even. But I've pretty much just been watching things that bring me some sort of happiness. Um, I know that Jonathan from Queer Eye posted yesterday that like a new series of Queer Eye came out and he worded it so beautifully and did like a live um, video about that this is not a distraction, but that these are like beautiful people and that, you know, if this could be a pause in our day where we get to smile or laugh or cry at something different, that that is what he is hoping to share with this new season. Yeah. And I thought that was really beautiful Mm -hmm. because I think, of course, everyone can say something wrong with everything. No, you can't take a break from the revolution. And I totally understand that mentality too, but I don't know how anyone could like mentally survive that. Um, I think that you need some sort of respite and I don't know always what that should be. Like I said, I don't feel that I've found the perfect answer for myself. I think you're doing it right now. I think you saying, I don't have the perfect answer and I'm kind of figuring it out. That makes you not only relatable, but it also shows that like, we're all kind of in this together. I think no matter what side you're on where I think being raw, maybe you're not always going to say the right thing. I posted that the other day, like don't attack someone if they're not politically correct or they don't say the right thing because we're all just figuring it out. But even related to mental health, just I think, again, it's kind of a journey and it's only been a week where we've really been in this. Um, So it's something I definitely think we're going to have to talk about more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess like also for you, I know obviously you're like my workout queen, but um, you've been killing it. And so I definitely think another way is just truly, I think working out, it releases not only, you know, endorphins, is that what it is? Yeah. So I think, I think that, you know, 
it definitely does something for your brain. I mean, the other day I was, I literally just blasted. I put like a happy playlist on. I was literally dancing by myself in my kitchen. I was like, I just want to have fun and like not think. And it's so healthy to do that because I'm filling up my cup so I can come back later and then I can like give that energy out again and I, and I can turn right. into those topics. But if I'm draining myself, I'm not going to be productive. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to help anyone if I'm not helping myself. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I, my workouts are definitely such an outlet for me. And like I said, I've been even including speaking on some form, some topic, having a Q and a something before all of my classes and then kind of getting into it. And like the comments that I get, the feedback that I get, the messages that I get about how it's supporting other people's mental health. And that's been really great for me. Um, honestly, like I was talking before about how my mom's like the best person ever. Literally, I just, I sat outside and talked to my mom for an hour yesterday. Just, I don't even know about what that's been really great for me to kind of recharge myself. Um, I have, I was like really eating healthy for like a moment. And like, I mostly am plant-based in general, but the last few days I'm like, all I want to eat is bread. I don't care. This is what's making me feel good right now yesterday like I very much talk all the time about how I love mashed potatoes more than anything that's like my favorite food mm-hmm. literally had a giant bowl of mashed potatoes I am like I have eaten one vegetable today it is a potato I do not care this is what I need yeah. like just trying to you know find things that bring me happiness in even small little glimpses facetiming my nieces they just had their virtual dance recital you know like having those little yeah moments yeah, amazing. And then just to wrap up, what do you hope to see for, you know, the rest of 2020 and then, you know, for for the ever forever future? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess what I hope to see is again this like not being a trend. I mean, I feel a lot of people that I've spoken to feel that this is like a little bit different than outcry for Trayvon Martin, for Philandro Castile, for Sandra Bland, like murders that have happened in the past. And it's not just about George Floyd. It is about countless others um, and the entire system. But I think that this does feel a little bit different than it has in the past. I was reading in the New York Times that yesterday, all 50 states and 18 countries had protests for Black Lives Matter, making it the largest day of civil unrest in history. And I know that the protests will stop at some point. I know that people will stop posting about this at some point. But at the end of the day, it's like what you do in your day-to-day life. It's the small things. It's like the words that you use to your family. It's like having those uncomfortable conversations and like walking out on Thanksgiving because you have spoken your piece to those racist members of your family. And that is where you leave it. It is pushing yourself to be very uncomfortable so that maybe in the next hundred years, like our children don't have to feel as deeply the things that we feel now. Mm -hmm. Um, It is educating yourself on what voting means and how to use your voice. I voted in the presidential election, but I've never voted in any other election. I'm always like, I don't know who those people are. I don't even know what's going on. When even is that? Like that's literally been me. And like, I'm not going to be that, you best believe I'm not going to be that person anymore. I'm going to be like, oh, I'm voting for like, the clubhouse community leader, like the smallest things I can vote on, I will be voting on them all. Like, I feel like it is those small everyday things. And it is those big things. Yesterday, I wrote a letter to the attorney general. I am 
people don't write letters anymore. People don't want to pick up the phone. They'll do a text. They'll sign a petition online, but like do the thing that you don't really feel a hundred percent that you want to do. That takes five minutes. Mm -hmm. Do that thing. Um, I feel like my hope is just for this to continue. I mean, ultimately I do not have the answer of what it would look like. I'm sure there are like scholars and people way smarter than me out there that do have a clear picture of what it would look like to take the system apart and put it back together, what it would look like Mm -hmm. to abolish the police and create something new. I don't know what that looks like. I don't have those answers, but I'm going to look for that and see like, what is a future that we could hope for? Because in our lifetimes, in our parents' lifetimes, in the entire history of this country, there has never been an iteration in which there was true equality. So I don't think that we can say, oh, I want it to look like this because we do not know what it could ever be. Right. We have never experienced it or seen it. So I think that that is something that I want to be thinking about. Um, yeah, I feel like that is, that can, right now, those are the only words I have for my hope for the future. And I love what you said about the fact that like, you're really like going out of your way. You're making those phone calls to our, our leaders and, um, I watched a sermon. I know you're Christian. And so am I, I watched a sermon a week ago and what uh, it was Bishop TD Jakes. And I love what he said that if you feel anything inside of your heart, even like a little crevice of something that bothers you go hard, the complete other direction I mean, go hard, the other direction to eradicate it and abort it from your heart. And I think that's so important. We're like, don't just, if you feel it, don't just do like a little thing here or there. I mean, go hard the other way. And yes. So I'm such a believer in that. That's how you really yes. are going to fight whatever you're feeling inside of you. Um, yes. so important. And so it's so funny. This is like, you said, this is your first podcast yet. You're so, elo- you're such an eloquent speaker. I feel like you've done this a million times. Uh, well, I feel like, honestly, I know that that was something that you had asked me in preparing for this, like my personal goals for the future. Yeah. And I feel like for me, I, like I said, I've been an actor my entire life. I took my first acting class when I was five. And like, I was just talking to my mom about this and there's a book called Purpose Driven Life. And it is something that my church gave out when I like became baptized. And it's always not sat well with me because I want to control my purpose. And I think that's what a lot of people feel. Oh, I don't want to do what like is meant for me. Or like, I don't want to believe I have a higher calling. I just want to like do what I want. And Mm -hmm. like, I feel that like, for the first time, I am not necessarily 100% sure if like my path is as crystal clear as I thought to be an actor, that that is like my crystal clear um, goal, because I feel that like, what if all of this training and all of this time and all of this learning to empathize with people and speak and all of these things were parts to just like prepare my heart for something different. And I've really been thinking on enrolling in a social justice master's program and really like just, if I have a voice, like a quote that's been just over and over and over and over and over playing in my head is like, if not now, then when, Mm. if not me, then who? And I just, and there's also a quote that Barack Obama said in one of his speeches, which is, we are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change we seek. Mm. And if, if I'm not that, who is going to be it? Whose shoulders does that rest on? Like I have a voice. I have been given these talents and this capability to speak. And so how can I not use it to speak out against injustice? Like what you were saying about that pastor, like if I have this like weight on my heart Mm -hmm. to be called to do this, 
how can I not, you know, how can, that doesn't mean that like, I'm not going to be a trainer. I'm not going to be an actor. I believe people can be many things and use all the gifts that they have. But like, I just don't know that I could like move forward knowing that I have this inside of me and to hope that someone else is the change that I wish the world to have. I heard someone say the other day that, um, and you could take this as you want, but someone said like, it's not, it's not, I don't know if it's revolution more than evolution. And I think that we're trying to evolve. And I think, you know, I also just to touch on faith, uh, the way I look at it is that, you know, I think we all have a plan. Oh, this is how my life is going to work out. This is who, this is where I'm going to live, blah, blah, blah. But I think having faith sometimes is really when God's pulling you in a direction that you're like, I didn't think I was going to go there, but <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you with it. And so I think that's kind of what faith is, is not, is really, you know, believing in something that you may not have thought of. And so, I don't know, I think it's important yeah. to really trust in that, trust in that gut feeling that you have. Um, I'm so proud of you. I'm like blown away <laughs> by how amazing you are. And I'm excited to see what you're going to do. Um, but we're definitely going to have to catch up when this is over. I want to go, I want to celebrate you and Richard and go out for drinks and I can't wait to hug you. I know, um, I know. I know, I'm so looking forward, but we will, uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks for coming on. This was so refreshing and eye-opening and um, yeah, I'm, exci- I'm excited to see what this going to come in the future. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank you so much for having me. One podcast cast down, check. And I get to be your first, so. Yes, put it on the list. Yes, <laughs> I'm excited. All right, bye guys. <laughs>